0: Hi, welcome to the second episode of In the Vitrine. My name is Danny, And I'm Nadia. And today we'll be talking about a recent exhibition that we've been to in Singapore at the Asian Civilizations Museum. It's called Guopei Chinese Art and Couture, and it's curated by Jackie Young.
1: And it's on from 15 June to 15 September. So Danny and I mm-hmm. only made it to the exhibition yesterday. So yes, we were, were a bit talked. late. Uh, to see it, but we've been involved in sort of related events to the exhibition. I went to listen to Guo Pei talk with Kenny Ting,
0: and we director of Sorry, and we both attended the symposium where some of our favorite fashion historians and curators and theorists came to give talks. That's right. It was called Curating Fashion and
1: Textiles. Mm-hmm. And we met some of our idols, like Dr. Valerie Valerie Steele, um, Akiko
0: Fukai
1: Fukai of the Kyoto Costume Institute. Um, It was a dream.
0: Yeah, I did not expect something of that caliber here so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and we
1: learned a lot during the symposium as well. Yes, Um, You know, just thinking about curating. um, And I think at the symposium, there were also... People from regional museums who came, like yeah. the Queen's Secret Museum of
0: uh, Textiles. Yes, so we got to learn about um, museums that are, how, how different museums are looking at dress and textiles and fashion in their own museums and how they contextualize it for their audiences.
1: That's right. Well, coming back to the exhibition, yeah. what did we think um, well, I think when we went up to the exhibition floor that was on the second floor, we had to walk up the stairs mm-hmm. and the first thing we saw was, of course, that iconic dress that Rihanna wore
0: mm-hmm. to the
1: Met Gala. Um, yes.
0: I mean, um, if you look at that dress and how it's been exhibited since the Met Gala, mm. you would see that in ver- in most of the installations, they always include that step that right. step um plinth to to make a, to allude to that very iconic image of Rihanna looking back yeah um, those and on the red carpet
1: yeah and at ACM which is short form for Asian Civilizations <laughs> Museum um we were looking at this black construction of these steps right but i was talking about how they weren't really like steps because they were rather steep and there's no way anyone could really stand on um, those steps. So it was kind of an odd thing to look at, really. Um, And, of course, when we looked at the model, we first saw the back of the dress. Yes. Which is, of course, that huge cape-like robe, you know, Mm -hmm. that just trails down um, the plinth.
0: Yeah, it's very dramatic.
1: Yep, and I was commenting to you that, well, the model was really tall. <laughs> and then when we walked to the front, we could see this sort of vertiginous kind of heels that the the mannequin was wearing.
0: Yeah. So the first installation, it kind of introduces the, the audience to the exhibition. And it's in a space where you don't have to purchase a ticket. Mm-hmm. So anybody could have access to that. Mm-hmm. There's also an activity area, which I thought was pretty good for... Kids, mm-hmm. where they had different textiles, fashion books, and pattern pieces cut out of felt for you to put on mannequins. So mm-hmm. I really like that. And there were also videos of the catwalk at the site. Mm-hmm. So they've attempted to use different multimedia um, to engage with the experience of the garments, because all of them are couture garments, the ones that were exhibited, and none of us <laughs> Would have, I mean, very little of us in the world even um, would have access to couture or to even wearing those garments. Mm. So to be able to see them in movement on the videos was gives that um, experience to us.
1: Mm. I think you're right. I mean, it's quite a nice introduction to Guo Pei, and it's also like a teaser for what you can see within the gallery. Yes, and I also think probably the gallery spaces wouldn't have been able to showcase the the garment yeah. to its full effect. Because yes. you kind of need to put it...
0: In space.
1: Yeah, like on a pedestal almost. And that's yes. what we, we saw here. Um I think one of the things that struck me was the fact that they noted the number of hours yes. that was involved in making the dress that yes. Rihanna wore.
0: I've never seen that uh, being put into captions before. So they were quantifying the amount of time that it took... Um, to the craftsman to to make each garment, so each each piece told you um, five thousand hours, ten thousand mm. hours, etc. Mm-hmm. And on reading some of the reviews from local writers, um, there's even I I feel like this is a way to justify why fashion deserves to have an exhibition, or why fashion deserves to be shown alongside uh, artworks. Mm. Um, and it shows um, there's not yet that understanding, like we're still having to fight for this seriousness in fashion. Right. Yeah,
1: that's interesting because you wouldn't see a painting or a sculpture, for instance, with how many hours the artist or the artist team spends on making it.
0: And also, how about the other creative work? Like Mm. the time it takes to come up with an idea or to research it that's Mm. not quantified.
1: Right. Actually, I was quite baffled about the hours as well. I mean, it just seems big, mm-hmm. but I don't really know how it's broken down mm-hmm. so if it's five thousand hours, what does it mean? Does it include like you you said you know the the time for the concept, the drawing, mm-hmm. how many people contribute to these five thousand hours because when we read the wall text, we noted that there were five hundred artisans that Koei works with, yes, is that correct, yeah. yeah. And yeah, so I think it would have been helpful if it was meant for a general audience to not just have the number there, but maybe a video or some sort of explanation about what it really takes to make this garment. You Mm -hmm. know, who takes ownership of the concept, the design? Um, Who are the artisans who contribute their skills to this? Mm -hmm. What do these hours entail? I mean, beyond just being sensational, you know, the idea that, wow, it took 5,000 hours you know but what goes into this 5000 hours
0: I also feel that the exhibition relied a lot on the docents to tell you information and to narrate Mm. the information to you and listening to different docents and knowing what I know about the exhibition and about the designer sometimes I wasn't sure if they will always be accurate or sometimes they were also trying to sensationalize or kind of um, kind of Make things easier to understand, right, I think it feeds into the idea that we still uphold the cult
1: of the designer, you know that the designer is the creative genius, and the designer is the one who makes everything happen mm-hmm. um but of course, within couture, we know that you know it's always an atelier it's always a studio full of people with various skill sets that make it happen, yeah, yeah, but of course the in the end the the collection or the exhibition you know mm. privileges the the designer
0: maybe actually that's something that not a lot of people are aware of like mm. when we're talking about the different markets in fashion we've got couture that traditionally has been the 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 part that leads trends way mm. in advance that leads craftsmanship and then you have luxury, Mm. you have independent designers, you have and most people would only engage with the high street. Mm. You're right. Um, What do you think of the exhibition
1: itself? So remember when we walked in Mm -hmm. after seeing the yellow dress? So we had to walk through a darkly lit passageway and through the existing collection of ACM.
0: Yes. So we went through, I think, religious relics.
1: Yes. And also a a section on religious diversity. Yes. Which is very unique to Singapore, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, in how it's forefronted. Yes. Um, You know, the idea that we we are very much reliant on religious diversity, we celebrate it. It's always in our conscience. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at some point in time, I thought we were lost because... (laughs) We didn't know where the dresses were. Yes. But at the end of that very dark passageway, and after seeing all these stone sculptures mm-hmm. from ancient times, we arrive, And we kind of know we've arrived because before we see anything, we hear music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you wanted to, to talk about the music a little bit.
0: Yeah, so the music um was made up of two pieces called Luminous and heirloom and they were composed by a young sound artist called Tsai Teng and he's my housemate but I have not had a (laughs) chance to speak to him about this and I thought it was a really nice way and I feel like it's done a lot in the exhibition where they're really trying to make relations between the exhibition and Singapore. Hmm. Because I mean why,
1: I think one of the questions we first asked when we heard about the Pei exhibition was why is Squall Pay exhibiting in Singapore?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I know you told me yesterday that
0: this is not the first time the exhibition is put up, right? Yes. So the current version has been heavily. I mean, they've really tried their best to contextualize it to the ACM, the Asian Civilizations Museum, and their collection. But um, the exhibition has actually been traveling Mm -hmm. and it's been uh, in Canada and in the United States in the Scat Fash museum so her garments have been presented and a lot of the installations have been repeated from the previous reiterations but there is that addition of the ACM's collections in this and that's what I think makes it a bit more meaningful for us Mm. and quite special yeah. And
1: the first garments we encounter um, are placed, are displayed in two different ways. Yes. So one was sort of flat.
0: Mm-hmm. like Yes. So um, in the tradition of ethnographic museums and how Asian dress is often displayed, because of the lack of darts, they are often displayed in a tea bar. Mm. So kimonos and even Korean dress often have this uh, bar that is slit horizontally across the sleeves mm-hmm. and hangs them. And uh, it's often a trope also for for cultural dress, whereas mm. modern and fashionable dress is often put in um, mannequins. And for this exhibition, the curator Jackie Young did mention that, the, that Guo Pei wanted a lot of um, control over the poses mm. and how she wanted to... Uh, show her vision through the poses of the Bonavari mannequins. And I've worked on many exhibitions where we've used Bonavari mannequins, but we often use the dress forms that have calico or cloth bodies, mm-hmm. so that we could we can pet them and we can um, take care of the conservation. Mm. However, I believe that all of the objects, all the 29 objects from Pei this time, came f- directly from her, so they there is a bit more leniency in their conservation mm-hmm. and they're not historical artefacts. Right. And what are so special about these mannequins? I'm not familiar. So Bonavere, Bonavere is, a, is a brand and they yeah. do various types of mannequins for commerce but uh, they are also used a lot in fashion exhibitions. Um, my lecturers love to use the sloppy mannequins and, okay. and like I said, the ones that have cloth on yeah. them they are much easier when I worked on the vulgar in the barbican. I worked on costume mounting and we actually padded the mannequins because um, human bodies are not like model bodies. Okay. So we had to add uh, padding for the hips, for the right. for the bust, etc. So um, the calico mannequins allow you to do that. Whereas these ones that are used in the Guope exhibition are not cloth mannequins and they have that um that ratio of a model mm. with very long legs and a short torso <laughs> yeah and
1: I think what was really funny to us was the fact that the first few garments we encountered were bridal garments that yes. were worn for tea ceremonies. Yeah. We were just thinking, gosh, we're going to record this podcast and we're talk about, about tea ceremony ceremonies again. again. <laughs> and it just sounds so funny because it seems such a traditional thing to talk about. But yes. it's featuring in our podcast, yeah. the second time running. Yeah. Maybe we will try to incorporate it in every podcast from now on. Yeah. It will be a challenge. <laughs> it will be funny. Um, but yes, the, the first few garments we encountered were bridal uh, bridal wear. And we can see that it's, of course, a very traditional part of um, bridal celebrations or, or the act of getting married in Asia. Oh. And I think, of course, Gua designs lend themselves to that because she has also said that you know, history is beauty, culture is beauty. Um, I think this was in one of the videos in the exhibition. And you can really see her celebrate that in her designs. And so they lend themselves very well to something as traditional as tea ceremonies, you know, which many people have kept for for getting married, for their weddings. Um, What did you think about the embroidery? I mean, they're startling to me. You know, yes. just the intricacy, how it's just so beautiful to look at.
0: Yes. um, I really enjoyed being able to see... I mean, I love looking at couture. I don't often see it mm. in up, up close. And you really can feel the weight of the materials and the garments and the way that they reflect. So a lot of times, the reviews have often compared Gopé's couture garments to sculptures mm-hmm. and to objects. Mm. And and again, it's this... Even the title is putting together couture with Chinese art. yeah So there is that idea of elevation and of treating these pieces as artworks and sculptures.
1: Yeah, as objet d'art almost. Yes. And we were noticing that they were placed with artifacts from ACM.
0: Yeah. So, I mean... In general I love exhibitions that also allow you to get into the the, the life of the wearer. Mm-hmm. But in this in this exhibition it was really about the art of couture. And so the objects that were placed with the garments were were all owned by the Asian Civilizations Museum or the Pranakan Museum. And they were um, they were they they were not the exact objects that Guo used as no. inspiration, except for the, the bridal The cloud colour, right? Yes, the cloud collar, yeah. the Paranakan cloud collar, um, which Guo had seen in another exhibition.
1: Yes, so I was quite intrigued to understand what she meant when she said she designed the cloud collar. So it's sort of like... Um, necklace almost, right? Like a cloth necklace. Um, It alludes to clouds. It's sort Mm -hmm. of like a traditional piece that's an ACM collection. And it's very elaborate. um, And it has these like elaborate or rather exaggerated curls that we kind of see in um, traditional sort of Chinese comics almost, Mm -hmm. you know, the drawing of the clouds. I'm just thinking of like um, the Monkey God <laughs> Sun Kong as um, people who would know Monkey God wouldn't would understand. Um, and what happened was in one of the videos in the exhibition, Guo Pei explained that she saw a traveling exhibition from ACM at the Musée du Quai Branly in Paris, and she said, "Wow, that was when she was really inspired because she had been looking for something that approximated what she envisioned with, in terms of." Beading and embroidery and elaborate kind of symbols and motifs and that's what she meant when she said that she was inspired by ACM. Um, So she also mentioned in that video that it's almost as if it came a full circle you know that she was inspired and then now she's exhibiting at ACM. So what wasn't very clear, I think, in terms of, I don't know, the Wall and exhibition and how it was that she was inspired came through in this video I watched online. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was really nice to see the juxtaposition of objects. I mean, even objects that weren't really related to Pei's mm-hmm. design process, you know, but just the idea that Pei's designs are kind of coming from a lineage of design, from Chinese yes. culture, from Chinese society.
0: Yes, like my favorite part of it was actually the um, reading the captions of the mm. of the objects. In particular, there was this candelabra, this colorful mm-hmm. lotus candelabra in pastel colors, with another bowl that I've seen before in the Peranakan museum. And what it's what the what the caption explains is in the 19th in sixteen hundreds there was this vogue, this fashion in China for producing pastel ceramics for export to the West. Mm. And that's because they were copying European um, porcelain imports. And how they they labelled these pastel colours, foreign colours, Yan, yan Chai. Mm-hmm. Is that how you pronounce it? It's Yan Chai. Yan chai. <laughs> 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 and apparently they were brought to China uh from By missionaries who often were like court artists as well, mm. and these candelabra were very popular in Europe and America, but they had all these asian um, Asian um, symbols like lotuses mm. and I thought it was very interesting, yeah. because it was showing us that it's not just the West that appropriates from the East but also how the East. Well, in general, how cultures are responding to this idea of um, importing and exporting their heritage mm. or um, kind of making new new visual languages mm. by mixing the two so instead of being a one way exchange uh, a one way thing, it's always an exchange right and it's more empowering to think of it that way that the Chinese or the Asian um, craftsmen are also involved in how they're presenting their work, not just being uh, robbed of yeah. their work.
1: Yeah, I think this is also quite interesting to talk about nowadays when you know, there's always the idea of... Well, something we talked about last uh, the last podcast episode as well about cultural appropriation or appreciation. But really, I don't think there's anything new, new. Yes. ever in design. I mean, we're all inspired by what we see. And we kind of filter it through our own thoughts, our own visual language. Um, and fashion is a transnational network as well, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you there's no right or wrong in how you do things. And I feel like for Guo Pei, um, you know, one of the things we talked about yesterday when we were walking through the exhibition was the idea of the traditional and the contemporary.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And to me, some of the pieces in the exhibition were just very traditional. So for example, we had dresses where the double happiness symbol was used. So in Chinese we call it the Shuangzi symbol. And it's a very beautiful symbol because it's very symmetrical and it's just about double happiness. <laughs> and you you remember the, the dress with all the pearls?
0: Yes, I love that. I mean,
1: it was just covered in pearls. It's this Long dress um it looks heavy, and then it's just over the top because mm-hmm. of all these significantly sized pearls, right, just one after the next, and then um along the front of the the pearl dress was that red symbol of double happiness, and we were talking about how, oh, that kind of looks a bit dated, but it works almost as if it's like an unabashed uh, rehash of yeah. what's Traditional and what you know we might have shunned as brides, you know marrying contemporary times, but Gope is like, "You know what? I'm just gonna put it in and it's gonna feel fresh again. <laughs> you know And something else I thought um, fit into the idea of the traditional to the contemporary uh, would be the idea that these tea ceremony dresses or these other bridal dresses were worn by celebrity. Right. Mm-hmm. Remember, there was this idea of Angela Baby wearing yes. it. Um, I can't remember the other celebrities now, but, you know, that name really stood out because even the curator Jackie, she talked about how she saw that dress. Yes. And that was sort of what piqued her interest to display Guo dresses. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. And so, you know, it's also about the provenance, right? You know, when we talk about like uh, a dress that someone has worn... Um, let's say you're auctioning off a dress, for instance, Mm -hmm. it matters who has worn it. It matters who has validated that dress's symbol Mm -hmm. or that dress's status, rather, as something that's worthy of being worn today. A piece of of history. A piece of history. A moment. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And so I thought it was quite interesting, you know, the constant play between tradition and um, what's contemporary. And it just came through very keenly, especially with all these artifacts from ACM, mm-hmm. you know, that are very dated, like you are talking about a kind of lover from the 1600s, you know, but somehow it's put together for us to appreciate and for us to understand in relation to core Pei's dresses.
0: Yes. There was also this term that I found very interesting, which is Chinese export art. So the mm. fact that there is art for locals and then there is art for export. Mm-hmm. And I think one of my friends has done a study on Chinese aesthetics as well and, and this idea of what is for China and what is for the outside. Mm. And Gope herself in one of the captions was quoted as saying that her work is in this creative spirit of Chinese export art. Right. So it's... Um, Uh, And this is something that I think was also mentioned in a symposium that, in where while cultural appreciation and culture is is generally something celebrated and great, it really makes a difference who is being appropriated because it has to do a lot with power. Mm. And China, right now, is in a strong position, so they don't mind their culture being. Maybe appreciate it, you know mm-hmm. But somebody who Another culture that doesn't have as much power um, Doesn't have The power to be able To profit the same From their culture as when somebody else Is doing it mm. So I guess we're still having problems with that
1: yep. And I think I remember Guo Pei talking about How she's a designer But she doesn't represent the nation mm. Was there something about that?
0: Um It sounds sounds like something that she would say, but also in the exhibition catalogue, Valerie still did write in her interview that designers shouldn't be expected to always know all the symbolism or everything that it means. Mm. And that's the job of the critic and the historian. Mm. Okay, is that what we're supposed to do then? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's what we're
1: attempting to do here. Um, What were your favourite pieces in the exhibition? Maybe we can talk a bit about that. Mm-hmm. as well. I think my favourite, let me start first. Okay. Um, my favourite would be that gorgeous tea qipao, the chongsam. Um, I don't know if you remember it, it was sort of like in the third section of the exhibition and it was this column and there were like sequins and floral motifs and it just looks so beautiful and I think what attracted me to it was that right before we saw that dress it was all these very traditional looking tea ceremony dresses which were quite shapeless mm-hmm. which also probably uh, explains why they could be displayed in that T shape form because it doesn't mould to the body really so to see it in all its splendour to kind of appreciate the embroidery rather than the shape of it mm. um, you know that's why we could see see them in that T shape display format but that dress, that chongsam, was gorgeous. It was like just a very cool column of beauty. Um, although I don't know who could wear it because it just seems very, very slim <laughs> and very scary in that respect as well. So to me then, it's just like a piece of art um, to, be, to be admired. And you know, this is something I always think about when I go to fashion exhibitions, that I really want to see all of it. You know, but we usually get to see, like, the front or the mm, back yes. of the dress.
0: I mean, there was recently an exhibition just about the back of the dresses. Oh, really? I, What was that? It was curated by... Um, if I'm not wrong, it was the Galliera. Right. Try. Yeah, but, you know, in this
1: exhibition, I mean, we saw that Rihanna dress um, from all angles. But, you know, there's always a privileging of one side of the dress. Yes. Because it's not on, like, a swiveling platform for instance which would also be quite annoying because then it would be swiveling you have to like kind of follow and you can't really take time to look yeah. at the details but you sometimes know, they
0: put mirrors
1: to show you the back <laughs> they do but then you know the fact that they put mirrors for you to look at the back shows that the front is I guess more important mm-hmm. because then you have to look at an image of the back
0: um, I do think that I've seen an exhibition where they did the rotation if I'm not wrong it was at the Momo it was Fashion oh. Game Changers and it they were showing works by Balenciaga and people designers who really focused a lot on construction. Right.
1: And did you enjoy that movement of the It was mannequin? very slow, so, oh, good.
0: so you could still <laughs> you could uh, take some time. Yes, you could to take look. some time to look.
1: I also wondered about the lighting. I mean, why is it so dark? <laughs> Conservation purpose. Oh, right, true. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to think about an exhibition, both as a visitor like just a general visitor and in terms of like how we would critique it, I think.
0: Yes, I would also like to point out that we're just, I mean, for us, we love having fashion exhibitions here and we want to see more of it and we get so excited and, we ex- and it's almost like you expect so much from everything but we have to remember the remit of the museum, mm. we have to remember what is the purpose of the... What is the curator trying to get across? What is its position within the museum? And the ACM is kind of a ethnographic material culture mm. museum that is trying to find new definitions for what is Asia. Mm-hmm. And this is not traditional. It's constantly changing. So you often see things like contemporary artists being shown in the museum as well.
1: True. You know, I'm... Re- I'm just really excited that we have a fashion exhibition to talk about Me even. Too, because yes. <laughs> I think the last one I saw, I was telling you yesterday, was the one at National Museum, right? Um, it was called In the Mood for Cheongsam. And it was curated by Cheong Mei Kuan and Lee Cholin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I can't remember when this exhibition was. Do you remember? Maybe in 2012? Was it? No. Probably. I don't know now. I remember
0: also we have. I have to look it up. We also have a fashion gallery in the National Museum. That's right. And it tells it focuses a lot in the night on the nineteen sixties. Mm.
1: Yeah, but oh yes, it's in twenty twelve. I just looked it up. So um, yeah, you're right. So there is a fashion gallery, like a permanent mm-hmm. fashion gallery within the National Museum. Yeah. Um it's just one yeah. small ish room.
0: I would still argue that this is still more of a social history. History. Mm-hmm. And dare I say it, dress exhibition oh. <laughs> than <laughs> fashion. And I mean, it does depend on what your definition of fashion is. If it has to subscribe to a fashion system mm. or. Right. Yeah.
1: I see what you mean. I mean, even within the mood for Cheongsam, so that was um, about, of course, the Cheongsam, the, the body hugging Chinese dress. And. It was definitely a social history kind of exhibition as well, because it told the story of um, how that garment represented changing social roles of Mm -hmm. Singapore women from the turn of the 20th century to, well, up till then, the modern times, up to 2012. And I think it would be fun to look at fashion in a more everyday sense, wouldn't you think?
0: Yes. But, also, I feel that we're more comfortable thinking about fashion as social history here because it makes it seem more humane and more down to earth and practical, more practical, yes, <laughs> and if we see i mean and then the other types of fashion exhibitions we see here are mostly done by brands and they are marketing exhibitions. I was
1: very true, so I think we talked about this before between us um. Well, there's also the Art Science Museum. I think we've mentioned quite a few museums in Singapore, and um, well, there's of course ACM, mm-hmm. and then you mentioned earlier Peranakan Museum, which is now closed for refurbishment. Yes. And then I mentioned the National Museum of Singapore. Yes. And now we're going to bring in Art Science Museum. Yes,
0: which I believe is privately.
1: It is. Funded it's by part of Marina, Marina Bay Sands. And Art Science Museum is where a lot of these fashion or fashion type exhibitions mm-hmm. end up. So, for example. Um, what have they had recently? I can only think about luxury.
0: Yes, like bags,
1: labels though. Hermes
0: did something. There. Yes, Arma- Chanel.
1: That's right. Hermes did um this exhibition called Leather Forever, and actually some of our students. Well, I ran a project with Hermes for our students. Um, in conjunction with that exhibition, I think creating um a flâneur map <laughs> for the exhibition and doing some social media work. Um, and it was called Leather Forever. And then they've also had Van Cleef & Arpels. I mean, that's not exactly fashion, but it is in the realm of design. Um, And Bouguerie had an exhibition as well there. I mean, all these exhibitions have been staged, I think, to varying successes. Um, Sometimes they're very blatantly just about, you know, promoting the brand. Oh, they've also had Chanel, I think, like um, high jewelry and photographs and all that. That's true. Um, but they are not social history, you're right. No. They are more sort of outings for the brands.
0: And also what do we, I think what's important also is, first of all, of course, the experience of the visitor, but does the exhibition allow the visitors to have new conversations or to think mm. about fashion differently? Mm. And the exhibitions I've seen in the MoMo have, are largely thematic. The MoMo is in Antwerp, and they do a lot of very experimental fashion exhibitions. And uh, a large part of their collection um, comprises of Belgian avant-garde designers. Right. So it's a design museum? It's a fashion museum. It's a fashion so museum. So it's one of the only fashion museums that only does fashion. Right. And they're very innovative with it. And their exhibitions are often thematic. So the the one that I mentioned earlier was... Um, about the body and how contemporary designers deal with the body and either in working with it or in changing its silhouette Mm -hmm. it was called game changers fashion game changers Mm -hmm. whereas in the marketing exhibitions it often i call them marketing exhibitions because it often feels like it's just a way for them to kind of participate in this idea of an experience for everybody Mm -hmm. that is free, Mm -hmm. yet it kind of reinforces things about the brand that they're trying Mm -hmm. to do. And I don't think that's bad per se, but I feel like sometimes they take too much liberty with facts. Mm. For example, I remember there was a Chanel exhibition at the Saatchi Gallery in London, and one of my friends went and he was like, oh my gosh, they say that Chanel was the first person to do perfume for Couture. And that's not true. You know? mm.
1: Yeah. So I think there's not that level of um, criticality or um, such a search for veracity, I guess. Yes. Yep. And I wonder then, I mean, coming back to the Gopay exhibition, because oh,
0: yeah, we went a <laughs> we long saw, way. We went off
1: tangent because of all the other things we think about <laughs> about fashion exhibitions in Singapore. But With the Guopé exhibition, um, I mean, I enjoyed looking at the clothes. Yes. And I enjoyed being able to just see up close what I've been reading about and seeing images of online. Um, But I, I did think that the text left me wanting, you know, sometimes when we go for exhibitions, well, not sometimes, I feel like for me, a really great exhibition, because we were just talking about how the marketing exhibitions are not, that fun or not that entertaining for me what makes a great exhibition is if i'm kind of drawn into a narrative um and i leave the exhibition knowing more about what's being showcased beyond just facts and numbers
0: mm-hmm. but maybe we can think about the everyday singaporean who is going to go into this exhibition okay i mean it was a heavily visual exhibition Mm -hmm. the objects themselves were very elaborate so they were
1: absolutely opulent yeah
0: Yeah. and and also apart from traditional dress and ethnic dress and textiles they maybe most Singaporeans wouldn't be used to seeing oh might not even have seen couture before Mm. up close so it is kind of a big deal for us no
1: I think so. Actually, what, now that you've talked about that, I'm just thinking about, you know, the conversation that Guo Pei had with the director of the museum, Mm -hmm. um, which I went for. And it was so illuminating because in person, Guo Pei is effusive. She's like, just really down to earth. You know, she's talking about her process. She's talking. Obviously, she's very confident, but in a very. dare I say, like, Asian way. You know, like, she's quietly confident. Um, She tells us, you know, her story of when she was growing up and how, Mm -hmm. you know, she...
0: Grew up during the Cultural Revolution. That's right. And
1: when she was a girl, a little girl, she used to, or she asked her grandmother before, like, may I have a yellow dress? And then her grandma said, no, yellow is forbidden, which is the name of the documentary um, that's out, you know, about, about Guo Pei. And... Also, during the talk that she gave, which was amazing because I was just hanging on to her every word. I mean, she's very inspirational. She was talking about um, kind of the successes that she had as a designer before, you know, she was sort of recognized um, in the West. And how she had, you know, um, success with her ready-to-wear and also why she designs what it gives to her in life. So for example, you know, she talked about how it just makes her so happy to design (laughs) her clothes. And, you know, that's what her secret to a happy life is. You know, the the idea that we must always be in pursuit of something that can never be completed. So for her, it's (laughs) the idea of that perfect dress. And, you know, because she is pursuing something that will never be done, she will never be done in, in her journey and that's what keeps her going. That's mm-hmm. her like life yeah. force almost.
0: It does seem very metaphorical and like uh, art, more very artful. I, I really enjoyed also the symposium. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was such a pity that not everyone who's interested in fashion in Singapore could have been there or was there because I feel like if we're going to be thinking about fashion, deeper then we need to to participate in this kind of conversations and argue and disagree and not just have the most pleasant answer or the most pleasant words for everything Mm. Um, but yes i'm very happy to have a fashion exhibition here and a fashion symposium and i really hope for more um if i could be greedy i would want more contemporary fashion. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I mean, what young Chinese designers or young designers in general are doing. I would love to see that contextualized here. That will be
1: fun. I don't know why it would be staged though. I think
0: that's the problem. Yes, because, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously
1: place. we don't have a fashion museum, yeah. but then it's sort of like they're popping up where they can. Yeah. Um, You know what I'm excited to see would be the fashion gallery that was announced at the symposium, you know, ACM is going to have a fashion gallery. Yes. I don't know. It will open early next year. Yes,
0: (laughs) I'm very excited. And also, just to kind of round it off, like I said, it's very tempting to expect so much from something and to hold it up to a very high level. But the exhibition is small, it's very intimate. And I think the fact that it gave us so much more to to engage in for example the life of the designer Um, we we have our smartphones so we can google things that we don't know Um, I went on a rampage and read lots of exhibition reviews on Mm. her previous exhibitions and this is what engages me and makes me happy yeah. to engage with fashion it's a starting off point
1: mm-hmm. yeah and it's also allowed us to think about various things in terms of inspiration mm-hmm. and I mean she wasn't just inspired by Chinese history and Chinese yeah. culture I mean
0: yeah, she had one that was inspired by the tales of Arabian Nights.
1: right and of course there's the legend collection where she um, was inspired by the Baroque Cathedral of St. Galen in Switzerland yeah.
0: and apparently the models came out in Caladebras.
1: that's really cool with Caladabras,
0: so there's that link there To that. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess that's it
1: for today, then. Um, That's all we have for this episode of In the Vitrine. Thank you so much for joining us. And go and catch the exhibition if you can. Okay. Bye bye. Till next time.